Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I saved a wretch like me. I don't think there's a person here, Lord, that can't pray that wholeheartedly. And we thank you for that grace. And we thank you for that love. And we thank you for how we celebrate it today on Easter Sunday. And we thank you, Lord, that you have risen. You have risen indeed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all so much. And uh, once again, welcome to Easter Sunday Renaissance, third service, 10, 11, 11.30 service, right? Um, I'll lose track after a while. Um, but we're glad you're here. We're, gonna just, we're just going to take a few minutes, and I want to read through uh, one of the gospel passages that talk about that, that historic first Easter Sunday, as we call it, and uh, make a few comments about that, and uh, just kind of remind ourselves, and maybe for the first time for some of you, well, you know, it's scary when a long-haired guy starts walking down the center aisle and you don't know who it is. You're thinking, he's got a coat on, he's got guns in there, what's going on, you know? <laughs> and he's just our lead guitarist, my folks. <laughs> oh, great. Jimmy, we love you. Um, but I just want to take a minute and just, and just talk, just kind of go through this very quickly because it's just so, it's just so good, and it's going to be a great reminder for some of you. Maybe the first time some of you have done this, and that's fine, too. So... Um, it's great. It's, we're going we're to take the Matthew passage. You could take any of the Gospels. We're taking Matthew 28 and, uh, and just kind of see what the Lord, um, what happens with the Lord and so forth. And some of it will be familiar to you and some of it may not be. Matthew 28, verse 1, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Picture that. These Roman guards, they're like, you know, the earth is shaking. This huge, huge boulder rolls away, and they're like looking at each other. You can just sort of picture that, look at each other like, Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? And they just, they fall down. Then the angel, now, by the way, just keep in mind, who's going to the grave? Who's going to, to try to care for the body of Christ? And they're going to try to embalm him as best they can in those times. And uh, just to do what's honorable and so forth to, to what they think they're going to find. It's the women. Where are the guys? Well, they've gone from the upper room to the lower room, and they're hiding out because they're a bunch of, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid for their lives. They literally are afraid for their lives. And uh, it's interesting to me that it is the women who first go. It is the women who the angel first appears to, the women disciples. And the significant part of women on the whole, in the whole gospel with Jesus and, 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 the, and, the, and, and everything about it, it's very interesting to me. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to be hating on anybody, and I don't want to be putting anybody. It's Easter Sunday, you know. I don't want to be anything, but I mean, name for me one. Just go do your homework. Name for me one other world religion where women are such at the forefront, the forefront of uh, of what's happening. I'll save you some work. There ain't none. Okay. Just anyway, it's Easter. We love everybody, though. Um, so anyway. <laughs> I, I, I diverted every moment. I really didn't. It really is a part of the text, and you need to see that. So here's what happens. Verse 5, the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said, he, just as he said would happen. Come see where the body was, was, quote, keyword, was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met with them, the women and, the, and some of the disciples, and greeted them, and they ran to him. They, they grasped his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell the rest, or my brothers, to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So, I mean, it's, it's just like, wow, it, it, you know, it's all coming together for him now. You say, did they really, what were they thinking? Well, you know, a lot of folks didn't really, even disciples, didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said, I'm coming back in three days. So now all of a sudden they're saying, oh, that's what you meant. You meant you were really, really coming back in three days. You know, what, you know, they didn't put all the pieces of the puzzle back together yet. They're like, oh, wow, that's what you meant. There were a few that understood that, but most didn't. They, even though they were disciples, they were with Jesus for so long, they're just, they're just figuring this out. They're like, oh, wow. So, Anyway, don't go, he says, don't be afraid. You'll get my brothers and leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. Now, this is where it gets a little, the plot kind of thickens, you know. And if I were back in my old radio days years ago, um, I would probably bring in a, some sounds and some noises like, da-da-da-dum, you know, because meanwhile, something else is going on somewhere else. And, and, and this is back in Jerusalem. Here's what's going on. Um, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, these were the guards that were at the, the tomb, and, 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 and told the leading priest what had happened. And meeting with the elders was called, and, and so they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping. Hmm, that's interesting. And so they stole his body. And if the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. I'll explain that in a minute. So the guards accepted the bribe and said, what they were told to say, their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it yet to today. See, here's the issue. You don't have to know too much about this, and the history shows you this. Even some other parts of the Bible will tell you this. Do you know what the punishment was for a Roman guard to fall asleep on duty? Death. He's, 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 I mean, he's going to die. But, of course, that was before the union came and said, our people have a right to take a nap while they're on duty because that's a... T- that's a I'm sorry, did I go there? <laughs> Easter Sunday, Rich, and here you are making... You know, anyway, um, they, 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 it was death. I mean, there wasn't any question, boom, there wasn't any trial, there wasn't any tribunal. It was, you know, it was just, that's just how, that was just part of the discipline that they did. So obviously when he says, hey, if we get in trouble with the governor, I, I got you covered, baby, I got you covered. But, um, and they went along with that. That must have been one heck of a bribe. I'll say that because this this is this is a pretty big deal. So that's that's the that's the uh, you know sort of the backstory to all this. Verse sixteen. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Interesting. He says Matthew says some of them doubted. And John, when he talks about this in his gospel, he talks about one that doubts. You probably have heard of his name. His name is Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. And I really love this passage because either in John or here, you don't see or hear or read 
condemnation for his doubting. You hear Jesus say, let me, let me help you with your doubts. Now, we as, as, as Christians, we in the church, we as church leaders, uh, I fear, have not done a very good job with that. People come and they, they, they have doubts and you say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Well, what's wrong with me is i got a brain in my head. That's the problem with me. And, I, and, and some of the stuff, I'm not so sure. Listen, God is big enough to handle your doubts. You know what? And he's not going to condemn you and he's not going to cast you out. You see, it's still called a life of faith. It's not called a life of empirical evidence. You know, it's still a life of faith. And there are times when all of us at many different levels of our life and many different parts of our journey, we have doubts about some things sometimes. doesn't mean we're horrible human beings. doesn't mean we, you know, we're not believers in Jesus. And that's, I love the way that's just worded. Some of them doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always. Great words of comfort. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've done what you have done probably different times in my life with friends and people that I love and loved ones and they're moving to another part of the country or another part of the world from around here usually. And you say, you know, Godspeed, and I love you, and I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go with you in spirit. And, of course, what we mean by that is, you know, we're, we'll be thinking about you, and, and you'll be in our prayers when we, when we think about you. And, and that's great, and we should do that. But, you see, that's not what Jesus was saying because he's God. He's saying, I'll, I'll be with you. I will be with you no matter what, no matter when, no matter what's going on. I'll be there. Because he's, he's God, and he can do that. So it's different than just somebody's thoughts being with you or my spirit being with you. He's there. Say, so how does that work? It works because he's, he's God, and he can do that. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens there. You know, I, got, I just want to give you this real quick because it's just, I think it's really good. I tell, you, I tell you this is the life of faith. It's not a life of empirical evidence. I'm going to, tell, I'm going to show you this quote from uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He's a professor, was a professor of law at Harvard University in the 1800s. He is, uh, he's a big deal. He's helped instrumentally in the development of Harvard Law School. He uh, was also known for something he wrote called the Treatise, Treatise on the Law of Evidence, which is considered a classic in American jurisprudence, even to this day. Listen to what he says. According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Isn't that interesting? There have been different quotes over the years attributed to this person or that, more, more evidence of Jesus' resurrection than there is for Caesar crossing the Rubicon River, all kinds of things like that. that you know, it, it, it's interesting. And, and I, use, I like to read those. They're encouraging. You know, I don't, I don't for any moment think that by telling you that, if you're a person who, who doubts the existence of Jesus or his divinity or, or the resurrection itself, I don't, I don't believe that by telling you that you're somehow going to go open your eyes and say, oh, gee, I didn't know that. Okay, I believe now. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that. Um, it's nice to know, though, that there's a lot of folks who are pretty smart and a whole lot smarter than me who, who really say there's, you know, there's, there's great evidence for this happening, but it still comes back to faith. It still comes back to faith. That's why it's called a life of faith. Three big questions I want to give you, very simply, very, very, very quick, very uh, simple thing. Three big questions about Easter that I want to answer today. They're simple. 
simple questions, but very profound questions. And they are this. Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to die? And why was he resurrected? Simple, but profound. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus come? Why did he die? And why was he resurrected? What's the deal? The answer is really pretty simple, but it's a twofold answer. And I'll, let me just deal with the first part of that answer. The answer first is because we live in a very fallen world. I don't think you need me to tell you this too much, but I'm going to make sure you understand it. We live in a very fallen world. And by the way, we're in the middle of it. And I'm right there with everybody else. And when you say, well, didn't sin enter the world through Adam and Eve? Yes, it did. Whether you believe that's literal or whether you believe that's, that's symbolic or, you know, or, or, or some other kind of thing, the important thing is that you understand sin entered the world and you and I were there. And, and yet when you start thinking about that and you start thinking, you know, one of the questions I get often, way too often, frankly, because I don't like being in these situations, is when you're dealing with tragedy, I mean, don't misunderstand. I like being there if I can help, but it's always uncomfortable because you hate dealing. You just don't like seeing people you love go through tragedy, but we all do, and I'm always privileged to be there to help when I am. But when you hear questions like, why does God, why did God give cancer to my, my loved one? Ones that really get you sometimes. Why did God, why did God let my child get cancer? Those are the kind that just cripple you. And my answer is, uh, I tried to, you know, the answer is really a pretty simple answer, and it says, you know what? God created a perfect world. We screwed it up. There was no cancer when God created the world. There was no HIV. There, 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 were, there was no, there was no sickness. There was no death. God created a perfect world. We came along, sinned, screwed the whole thing up. That's the deal here, and we need to understand that. And, and, and by the way, when you start thinking, about it, it's it's this it's this this cause of, of this this desperate desperate disease called a sin sick soul that all of us all of us have been touched with. You know, and it's whether you're talking about death or disease or brokenness, heartache, immorality. Betrayal, lying, stealing, cheating. All the things that are around that, whether it be marital issues, divorce, so forth, whatever comes with that. People who take advantage of others, people who are bullies. That's a big thing these days, bullies. Bullies have been with us forever. And, uh, and they try to, people try to intimidate, and we can get into all the psychological reasons for that. That's not my purpose. My purpose is all of these things have been caused by this one thing, called sin that we've all been affected by, which is why Jesus needed to come, needed to die, and needed to be raised from the dead. We've all been affected by it. And you say, well, you know, I'm not a liar, stealer, cheater, rich. No, but you know, we, we all have our stuff. And, 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 and many times, just because we don't necessarily see some of the visible signs of, of, of awfulness and of sin, we think, well, you know, I'm not too bad. But you know, you've got to go a little deeper than that. It's for all. You know, I got, I'll tell you this one, okay? This is not one of my proudest moments. Friday night. Good, fr- Good Friday, people. Good Friday. During Good Friday service. During communion of all things. 
We had a lot of folks. If you weren't here, we had a great time, great service, a great time. And I had like 250 people or so, which is, which is a lot for us to serve communion to. Normally we're around 100 or 150. And, um, for one, and, and we just had one service. And, um, and so I'm serving communion like I, like I normally do, and, and, and um, it's taken a long time. The, the, we do okay with the bread, but the, 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 but the wine or the grape juice is taking a little longer. And I'm sitting here trying to pray and just talking to God about my own stuff, my own situation, and trying to keep one eye open to make sure everybody's getting served and everything. And it's taken forever, you know. And, and it starts kicking in. You know, I'm, starting, I'm, I'm getting in. Come on, come on. What's wrong? Come on, people. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You know? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then it hits me. God, what am I doing? I'm sitting here sinning, that, that great sin of mine, impatience, during communion when people are getting served. And so I said, okay, Lord. Um, and I did. And it's all going in my... I don't want to often take you into my twisted little mind because it's a scary place to go, but just for a moment, we'll do this. And, and, and so I had, to, I had to pull it back a little bit. Okay, okay, Lord, I'm, please forgive me. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me you know. But I mean, it, it's, it, it's that bad. It's that bad, folks, okay? And, and whatever it is that we have to deal with, we have to stop and recognize whether it's impatience or whether it's anger or whether it's just, you know, curse words that I utter or that I just keep beneath my breath or whatever it might be. You know, here's the issue is it all, it all comes from this one thing, and that is we live in a very fallen world, and we're right there, the top of the, top of the heap. The Apostle Paul in one letter uh, writes, uh, God, uh, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm like, I don't know who made you chief. If you're chief, I'm a first lieutenant, baby. Um, um, we have to deal with that with all of us. We have to be honest with ourselves and with God. Second part of the answer is this. Why did Jesus come? Why did he have to die? Why was he resurrected? Because we live in a very fallen world. And the second part is because we need to be rescued, we need to be forgiven, and we need to be energized with something other than our selfish selves. We need to be energized by that. We can't rescue ourselves. I can't die. I mean, I should die for my own sins. I deserve to die for my own sins. I can't die for your sins because i got too many. And you can't die for mine because you got too many. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again. Because he's perfect. He's divinity. He's God. And he died for me and for you and all our stuff. And he rose again to give us new life, new attitudes, a new nature, and a new way of living. And I'll tell you, you just can't... And to show us grace and what grace is, because we don't live... I mean, you, we don't live in a very graceful world, man. I mean, we, grace just isn't a value. And yet... God says it's very important that we have, we understand grace from Him and exercise that grace with one another. Let me just, let me just read. I just want to read to you a few verses before I let you go um, from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And I'll just go through this quickly, but it's just um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. That old system, that's the Old Testament system, you know, of sacrifices. That old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. They were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. They were never able to do that. 
nor were they designed to do that. And, and, and let me just show you this. I want to skip down a few verses. To verse, let me just skip down to verse 14 uh, and just uh, and show you what happens here. In verse 14, for by that one offering, Jesus, he forever made, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's us. He made us perfect. Here's how he made us perfect. He made us perfect in the sense that when God looks at Rich, now he doesn't see this impatient son of a gun. It's Easter. I've got to clean it up a little. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't see this impatient dirtball sinner. That's as clean as he gets, baby. That's as clean as he gets. Uh, he doesn't see it. He sees the fact that, that Rich is trusting in what Christ did for him. He doesn't see all the, all the other junk going on here that's there. He sees what Christ did, my trust in Christ. Same thing with you. And that's when he says, and he goes on, he says, um, he made perfect those who are being made holy. Being made holy, that's a, that's a progressive thing. We're all in progress. We're all in process of God making us, and, 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 and things are happening. And sometimes it's just a little bit. Maybe nobody else can see it, but there's stuff going on inside of you, and it's good stuff. Once you come to faith in Christ and, and some sanctification, that means being set apart, starts taking place. And verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. Watch this. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again, I love this verse, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Only God could say that. (laughs) You just listen to, I'm sorry, another sin I got to confess, I... I like country music, okay? And I know I'm the only person in this whole New York City area that likes country music. So I have to have a satellite radio to listen to it. And um, I'm happily do that. Great country song the other day I was listening to. About this woman whose husband had cheated on her. I know, it comes as a shock to you in country music, right? That's the <laughs> she says, forgiveness? It's what you're going to receive from Jesus, but you'll never get from me. <laughs> I thought, okay. Unfortunately, that's true sometimes. We can't sometimes forgive. We need to. And sometimes that takes a long time. But the great news is with Jesus, I never remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Their sins have been forgiven. There is no need for any, to offer any more sacrifices. That's just amazing to me. That's Easter. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again for me and you to live in a way that's going to honor him and so much better than anything else. Let me pray for us before I let you get out of here. Lord God, We're all just a bunch of spiritual losers. We know that. We, we, we get in the way of ourselves. We are selfish. We're self-absorbed. We're petty. We're jealous. We get all kinds of weird little things going, God, you came and you lived and you suffered and you died and you rose again for us. Loving us beyond any, any logical reason other than you just love us because we're not worthy. We thank you for that. We thank you for the love, the forgiveness, and the grace that you show all of us.
in so many ways. And we pray, God, as we celebrate this great, great day, that we would do so ever mindful, ever mindful of the fact that it's a great day because Jesus has shown me forgiveness unconditionally. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.